0: Enjoy local voices, enjoy local opinions, all on one local app. Health,
1: sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts, featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and
0: provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network presents Corner Table Talk. Well, welcome, everyone, to this episode of Corner Table Talk. Today, I have two actually really good friends. We've become great friends over the years, but uh, business partners, associates, two really talented culinary folks, two chefs, and uh, really just fabulous people. And I'm and I'm really pleased to have Govind Armstrong and John Cleveland join me here uh, on Corner Table Talk. Govind is currently the executive chef and director of operations at The Lobster Restaurant in Santa Monica, which happens to be one of L.A.'s highest grossing restaurants. It's a fantastic place and probably the the best place in L.A. to to watch the sunset. But he's a chef, an author, a TV personality known for a straightforward, distinctive, seasonal approach to cooking. He's worked with some of the biggest names on the West Coast uh, in the food scene on the West Coast, Wolfgang Puck. Nancy Soberton, uh Mary Sue Milken, and Susan Finneker, Joachim Splashow, and, and Brad Johnson, too. I'll, I'll add my name <laughs> to that list. Uh, he's, he's worked with me as well. So really, really honored to have Govan. He partnered with me in both uh, Post and Beam and Willie Jane, and he is the uh, a proud dad. Uh, just a fantastic guy. John Cleveland is currently the owner, along with his wife, Ronnie, of Post and Beam, Govan and I transferred. Uh, my wife Linda transferred ownership to uh, to John a couple of summers ago, and we're going to talk about how that's been for him. John is born in Oakland, raised in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, draws some of his culinary influences from Southern soul food, Carolina barbecue, and 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 coastal seafood, and. Uh, He's kind of defined post and beam as it's as it's um, evolved since uh, Govan and I opened in 2012 as California comfort food, and I know he's got a heavy emphasis on southern there. So we're going to talk about what he's up to. And uh, interesting enough, John majored in math at uh, in in college and actuarial sciences, which is a discipline that assesses financial risk. And you still went into the restaurant business, so I want to understand that a little bit, <laughs> your, your rationale. But uh, two really fantastic guys with, with strong backgrounds and a, a lot of on-the-ground experience in Los Angeles over this past year and some insights that I want to get into with them. So, John Cleveland, Govan Armstrong, thank you for being here, and welcome to Corner Table Talk. Well, pleasure, pleasure. So I kick things off with what uh, I call short order questions. So I don't even have to explain to two chefs what what that means, but I'll get started John, I'll I you guys can both answer the same question and John you can go first. So what is in heavy rotation on your playlist these days? What are you listening to? Oh,
2: wow. I'm listening to an instrumental album called uh, from Gangstar. Okay. All right. Instrumental little hip hop. I like
3: the, uh, I'm freestyling in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Govan, how about you? What's in your earbuds? You know, these days it's, um, this is going to throw you off, but it's been a little bit of yo-yo ma. You know, I've been needing to just sort of decompress
0: and stay calm and cool. And he's got a way of just doing that. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on that. This last year definitely had me dig deep into my, quiet music uh, playlist category and just needed a little cerebral piece, you know, a little peace of mind was uh, was much called for. All right. Back to you, John. And then Goldman, what's on your feet, John? What are you wearing? What kind of footwear? I
2: wear uh, I wear these shoes called Brooks. They're like orthopedic shoes. Um, Long story, short story. uh, I've had a lot of leg injuries. So it's hard for me to uh, stay on my feet for 12, 14 hours without, like, <laughs> some real support, man. I use uh, I use orthopedic design shoes.
0: Good for comfort and stability. Goldman, what are you wearing?
3: Well, stylish at home, you know, and, you know, today I'll be riding my motorcycle in, but I
0: am a huge Blundstone
3: fan. You know, they're an Australian boot company that they, they're just something about them. I've been wearing them for years. I have a number of pairs, you know, probably six or seven um different types of boots and then they do some low ankle boots as well but you know at the restaurant i probably have four pair there that i sort of rotate through and they're just really comfortable great support not the most stylish but they are classically styled and i don't know they just fit my feet really well and they they, they, they like they can take a beating and i don't know they're very versatile you can wear them out wear i'm in you know dust
0: off all the the lobster guts and stuff and you're good to go <laughs> <laughs> And picture you on that bike. Yeah, I've seen that. That, That's a good look. All right, John. So it's an off night in L.A., which is rare. You and Ronnie have a babysitter. So tell me where are you going for dinner and what are you having?
2: Uh, You know, lately we've been trying to really mix it up since the reopening of restaurants in L.A. Um, The last off night we went to Spago recently. Um, We opened our restaurant on Easter Sunday and the GM of Spago came and had just a, a fantastic time invited us out. So our, our first night with a babysitter as of recent, we went to Spago. Um, but I've been really itching to go to a few places. I wanted to check out Manuela. Um, I hear they're doing like a great scene for dinner service in downtown. And I, I just, uh, I think we're, we're looking to, to try some new spots. Uh, there's, a lot of new
0: things going on with outdoor dining. So that's kind of been our, our little get to lately. Cool, man. Well, you help me make my list when I'm ready to, to make my round. So Goldman, you and Julia have uh babysitters for the kid or a babysitter for the kids. W- where are you headed, man? Where are you looking forward to dining and, and what are you going to eat there? Uh, you know, I want to take her to
3: major Domo. You know, it's David Chang's place downtown. Um, I've been before they have, you know, just a killer wine list. Uh, a lot of, really cool funky natural wines serious cocktail program without being too over the top you know really approachable but unique um and then his style of food that he's doing there it, it's just fantastic you know it's a blend of um korean cantonese this and that they have this huge what is it it's the the whole short rib that they're doing there uh, that's obviously for you know i think three four or five people i'm gonna see what kind of damage i can do on that um didn't Myself we consider I...
0: doing one of those at one point? But we were a little. Yeah, we did something similar.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the three bone um short rib plate. Yeah, we did that at um mm-hmm. at Willie Jane a couple of times. It was amazing. You know, it's it's such an yeah. incredible cut of meat. And he he just does a fantastic job from what I've seen. The pictures are one of those things that are really driving me to ordering that next time I go in and, um, you know, he sends it out with all the accoutrement and you they carve it table side or they used to pre-COVID. I don't know what they're doing with it now. I'm I'm mm-hmm. pretty handy with the knife. So I'm not concerned with that part. Um, just really excited to to get out, <laughs> and have some quality time and
0: relax and eat some good food. Yeah, man. That, uh, my son Bryce was just there and his girlfriend found me and they they absolutely loved uh, that restaurant, Major Domo, they, they raved about it. So I'm be very curious. Well, here's some more about it from you. So you, you have a little stretch of time off. Let's just say, John, where, where are you looking forward to traveling to? Where would you like to vacation or experience next outside of Los Angeles?
2: Oh man, I think I'm itching to get back to the Carolinas, uh, more than anything. I want to spend some time out in the country, you know, um, cooking over a fire, sleeping in a tent, <laughs> looking at the stars. Um, so I, I really, really would love to go hunting, hang out with my brothers out in the country. That's, that is that is
0: absolutely the first place I'm going. That sounds about right, man. I like that. Govan, what about you? you have well-traveled. You've been a lot of places. Where are you looking forward to going to take a little break?
3: Um, it's funny. We, last year was the first time that we were actually going to go as a family back to Costa Rica. You know, I haven't been back down there in years, uh, just with the kids and, and, you know, work and all kinds of all the other craziness. We were supposed to go in July and of course that didn't happen. So this year I'm going to figure out how to make it happen, but take, you know, all the kids down there. I'm going to grab my mom and take her down and just have them sort of reconnect or just connect with that side of the family and that, Part of the world, you know, was something that I was fortunate enough to, you know, grow up in and really get down there quite frequently. And I still have a major connection, even though I haven't been in years, still have a ton of family down there, you know, just to really have them understand, you know, it's like, this is like where we're from, this is where family's from, these are your cousins that you never met, you know what I mean? That's just um, really important to me that they see that and, and get a, a taste of that side of, you know, who I am and who they are. But yeah, you know, it's great just yeah, no, beautiful. I can't wait to just get out there on the beaches and just relax. Go to find places where my cell phone doesn't work
0: and you know <laughs> all, all, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, I hear you. All right, so John, fondest childhood food memory? Wow, ah, that is a tough one. That's hard. It's a toss up
2: between mom's fried chicken and dad's ribs, uh, but. <laughs> I hope they don't judge me for this. I, I got to go with... <laughs> I got. You don't go have to choose. I don't is. want to start a family dispute here, so... <laughs> it's dad's ribs, man. I mean, they were so good. We used to fight for them. I mean, we would... uh Yeah, I would literally watch him cook them for 12 hours, you know, just sit there and watch. I never actually got a chance to do much of the cooking. I got to clean, move the grills, Empty them out. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Start the, heavy the fire. <laughs> You know, but uh, yeah, absolutely, man. After sitting there smelling and, and looking at the smoke for twelve hours, that was that was always my thing. Is
0: dad put ribs. in the work? Well, let's let's hope we didn't make mom upset with that uh, with with choosing dad there, but she probably enjoyed those ribs too, so she might be down with that answer. <laughs> Goldman, what about you, man?
3: Uh, you know, one of my favorites, and and still to this day, it's a, the simplest thing in the world. It's um, you know, that breakfast of uh, a couple fried eggs. Uh, some crispy bacon um, and grits. Um, you know, my mom used to and still does, you know, she'll make the grits with the, add, you know, an ample amount of the bacon fat, you know, then fry the eggs in the other remaining bacon fat. And <laughs> sometimes she'd add cheese to the grits, but it was really just one of those things, you know, and, and black pepper, there's, Every now and then there'd be lumps in the grits. <laughs> my mom was, you know, busy raising five kids. Everything wasn't going to be perfect every time. But there was just something about the flavor and starting my day that way that just was beyond satisfying and, and just so delicious to, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll crank out the same. And um, I don't know, it's just a good way to get your day going. Yeah. Maybe a little less bacon fat these days, if you know what I mean. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, it's funny you say it because I've been, uh, I've been on a grits like thing lately and I make mm-hmm. the instant grits that, you know, take about 15, 20 minutes. And I, I use Daya, um, vegan cheese, put that in yeah. a little pepper and some, um, garlic salt. Mm-hmm. And I think I got the garlic from you, if I'm not mistaken with the grits. Am I, am I right or wrong right? about that? Right, right, right. right. Okay. Oh yeah. I thought I got mm-hmm. that from somewhere. But yeah. And I'll and I'll buy some of those quick Pillsbury um honey biscuits and you know yeah. have myself,
2: my home <laughs> just,
0: you know, version of my down home breakfast. So um lastly before we move on to some other subjects, John, what what is your favorite spice these days in, and why? Uh, lately
2: I've been using this Balinese uh, long pepper. Super cool pepper. It's just got a little bit more aromatics to it, but I've been switching it in and substituting it with a lot of my ingredients for uh, spice blends for pepper, just falling
3: in love with it. Govan, Spice Master Govan, what do you you working on? I love that, that Balinese long pepper, super aromatic. Recently, I've been using a lot of the Urfa, Urfa Beaver. It's a type of Turkish chili that's not like too spicy. It's a little more citrusy um little hint of smoke but super unique it it, um i don't know i've been making like fun vinaigrettes with that uh it's great to like brush fish with after you grill it yeah just interesting in marinades it's super versatile and i'm still you know just playing around with it quite a bit but that that's
0: sort of been a go-to for a little while yeah, man, that, you know, that was one of the things that I really thought was just especially outstanding about you is your ability to just find these 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 flavors from seasonings and just bring out the most of the flavor of the food by just the subtle use of spice and and unusual flavors and combinations. And I think you do that exceptionally well. And and John, you, too. Um, all right. So let's let's dive into um some of the, some of the subjects I want to, I want to cover here with both of you. Um, so Govan, as I, as I mentioned, you operate, you know, one of the busiest restaurants in Los Angeles and just a fantastic place to watch the sunset. The lobster is an amazing room, beautiful space and great view, as I mentioned. Um, but the past year, the challenges of 2020 and 2021 ongoing still you know, had to have been just a a lot for even someone like you who's had a ton of experience. What's this past year been like for you? And, and, you know, what have uh, what have you experienced?
3: Um, It's it's interesting because it's been a little bit of both like the in all the darkness and and unknown. You know, it was really like beyond stressful times. But, you know, the silver lining for me or one of them was just the amount of time that I was able to spend. Uh, With the family and with the kids, you know, every single day, without you know, stressing out too much, knowing that you know, no no matter what, we're gonna we're gonna get through this. Even you know, the restaurant industry will get through this. The tough part was just having uh, to let go of the staff and not being able to to take care of them as you know we were used to. You know, it's just really hard. You know, a lot of people don't have the resources or the resources to even tap into getting unemployment or figuring out, you know, how to feed their families and this, like, and that, and I, you know, I really struggled with that. I struggled with the kids that were, you know, yanked out of school and, and, you know, stuck at home and may or may not have had the the support from their parents to continue their education or to even try. It's just, you know, it was really, really hard all, all around, but, you know, having that time to spend with, with the family and with the kids and, Um, all that was, again, just the the silver lining. And it was, that was really like the only upside there, that and no traffic, you know, getting from A to B was incredible.
0: Right. right. And I guess too, with the staff going, you know, one thing to to tell folks, you know, I'm going to have to lay you off and, you know, in a month I'll be able to bring you back or whatever, but not knowing, you know, where the end was going to be, right. The uncertainty, and they look for you, they look to you for some degree of certainty. Right. And That had to have been a a difficult, uh, difficult time.
3: Yeah. It's like you just nobody knew, you know, I I had to stop myself from reading the news and and, and watching and and trying to stay on top of things because it was driving me crazy. It was literally beyond disruptive to everything. I couldn't sleep. You know, I know I'm not the only one, but it's like everyone was going through this time where the uncertainty was just, um, beyond overwhelming. So I had to just put a pause on that and know that, you know, Hey, we're we're at home. This is what I have to be doing right now. Just sort of taking care of everybody as, as well as I can. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and still communicating with staff, helping them out whenever I can, you know, a lot of my vendors were good in terms of like floating us some product and, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, definitely get some product to the staff, you know, just getting them some basic food or whatever we can do for them just to just sort of help out.
0: And John, um, you know, you took over from Govan and I and, and Linda in the summer of 2019. Uh, you took over Post and Beam after having worked with us there. So, you know, you had a a good understanding of the restaurant, but, um, you know, you had about eight months of operating before, before COVID kicked in. And, um, I know you've had, you know, you had your own business before you had a catering business, but, you know, owning a business, like a restaurant where you, as Govan and I've just mentioned, you know, you have all of these employees that look to you, you know, in that you, um, you advise and they look to you for support. Um, that had to have been a pretty unique. Ch- and you've got a son who, you know, had some challenges as a as a youngster and Miles is looking great and strong and, and beautiful now. But, you know, were, you and Ronnie had some extra special care you had to, to take to make sure that uh, everyone stayed healthy. But what what's this year been like for you as a as a first time restaurant owner, businessman, dad, all of that? I think mean, Govan sums up really well. It's been a roller
2: coaster, you know. It was weird because we, like you said, we had only been, uh, operating as owners for eight months leading into like the onset of the dining closures. And man, it was like we were, felt like we were just getting our footing, you know, mm-hmm. and the rug just got pulled from underneath us. But we, uh, I don't know. We did a lot of different things to adapt and try to keep things fresh and roll with the punches and, and make sure posts and beams stayed like, open and relevant and all the things. And just to keep the momentum that we felt we had gained with getting customers to keep coming to Post and Beam, man, it was, um, as you know, you all left some pretty big shoes to fill. So it's it's not like operating your everyday mom and pop's business. It's a lot of uh, community relations and You get real close with people, you know, same as everybody. I think letting, laying off staff was just horrible experience to have to go through like multiple times in 12 months. I've never had to deal with laying folks off uh, that many. So often, like with so much uncertainty, it, it was just, you know, these are people that we've all developed personal relationships with over the years. You know, Uh even laying off somebody that like Foster and he was it was just weird It's odd to even have to go through that. And, you know, Foster was one of the reasons why we fell in love with Post and Bean. <laughs> to just have to have those kind of conversations with this just awful, man. And I'm glad we're past that. But yeah, that was just a rough time, man. And the for us, we were always just in real, I don't know, uh, high, high level of just awareness of COVID because of our son's health history. You know, he was born with chronic lung disease. So we were already just really aware of respiratory issues in general. And I mean, he'd been on breathing machines and ventilation for, you know, the first two years of his life. So we really were just getting out of him breathing regular air like everybody. And uh, to see this risk of COVID come in was frightening. Um, But we've, you know, since then gotten vaccinations and we're open again and it's everything's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. It's feeling a little bit comfortable being around people again. So, I mean, we kind of
0: went into a hibernation almost, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure I, I speak for Gobin here and, and you know, we've tried to stay, Linda and I and Gobin, I know we've all tried to stay close to, to you and Ronnie and, and offer whatever guidance and mentoring we can. But John, I have to tell you, man, the, the way that you've stepped up, and, you know, the demeanor, the, the no quit, the just, you know, and you don't, you, you don't seem to get down. You know, you just have this positive vibe about you. And even with the, all of the struggles compounded by what you had to, you know, be careful of with miles, your, your disposition, man, is just amazing. How do you, how do you keep such a positive frame of mind?
2: I, <laughs> I've learned from the best, man. I've, uh, I've witnessed some very composed individuals with you and Govin. Uh, my parents were great examples, but like, I think, uh, falling in love with Post and Beam allowed us to really witness what you all did. It drew me. I'm think <laughs> when I look back on it now, I might be one of Post and Beam's greatest fans. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I'd never, I've been working in restaurants since I was a kid, like all of us. And, uh, coming to Post and Beam and seeing the way you work the dining room, um, observing the way Govin runs the kitchen, you know, it was, it was very influential for me. I don't know if everybody that listens to this podcast has ever been to a Brad Johnson restaurant, but I mean, you're, it's rare that you find an owner that bust tables, run the food, greet you at the host station and be very involved with the staff. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know. It's I thought you all were the greatest example of what I wanted to be as a restaurateur and as a chef. I just really took a note from you all, if anything, on how to how to compose and present myself.
0: That's a big compliment, and Thank you. Thank you very much. Cole, you know, John, John initially uh, was attracted to Post and Beam because he wanted to work with you. He had heard about you and I want to talk to John a little bit about that in a, in a moment. but. You've worked with John now for a while, and you've worked with many people over the years. What do you what do you see in John? What do you think you know allows John to? It, it, how, how would you view him at this point as a, as an operator, as a chef, uh, and what what kind of potential do you do you see in John? Well, for where he's at in terms of like ownership of a you know freestanding restaurant and a
3: unique one like Post and Beam, you know he, he's well. Ahead of the curve here, you know, he's able to, he's got that like talent to where he can sort of remove himself just enough and sort of look down at what's going on and really understand the, the scope of what needs to happen in order to be successful and um, understands how to make it his own at the same time. You know, it's a really unique Situation. I know I keep saying that word unique, but it's like post beam is unique mm-hmm. and it comes with unique challenges and it, it takes the right person to be able or people um, and team for that. For a matter of fact, to continue to like improve and continue to move the needle and not just keep it status quo. You know, it's like restaurants need to always evolve in order to continue to attract, you know, your customer base and to keep your. Regulars happy, and you know John's never lost sight of that. You know, I right. know, I can tell. Continue to do so. Continue to challenge himself. Try new things. Make risks. Make mistakes, and you know, learn from them. Most importantly,
0: and I think a lot like you too, Gobin, with you know being able to use both sided sides of your brain, both the creative and the analytical. You know, you're also a numbers guy. You're proficient with controlling costs, and you have an eye on the bottom line. And, you know, that's, that's absolutely necessary, you know, when, when so much product is passing through your hands and so much labor you're responsible for. John, I'm, I'm curious. You know, Govind, um obviously had a big reputation, has a big reputation, but he was he was the main reason, I think, that you had mentioned that you initially were were interested in coming to work at Post and Beam. How had you heard about Gobin? What was it about his particular style or or him that attracted you and, and made you think that this was somebody I really wanted to learn under? I think uh, at the time when I had met you all or had approached you guys, I had.
2: Uh I had been in l a for maybe four or five years, and you know my dream i've always dreamt of being uh, owning a restaurant and i i grew as a chef um and really started working in kitchens and i uh i didn't go to culinary school but I learned from some really talented chefs on how to advance in kitchens and so i um i had felt like I had done some really cool work and had some pretty nice success in some of the projects that I had tried to do and I really wanted to find a home in a lot of ways I felt like I was uh wandering around with my skills of of learning how to figure out how to you know get to A to B to C and I was making so many mistakes and I um I always saw Govin as a figure that like you said, was so super composed. Um, he works in open kitchen, so you can really see how he manages and, and works around people. And for me, you know, I'd started working in North Carolina and out there, it's not a big culinary scene like we have in LA. And I had never met a chef as accomplished as Govin. And I looked at him as someone that I could really ask questions to and learn from. I'm the kind of person that probably learns the most from just watching and observing. Um, I'm like a sponge. So I was, you know, I really thought that I could take a lot from being around him. Um, and I thought that was a missing piece for me it was just, I needed some, some guidance, some mentorship from seasoned professionals. And instead of, you know, I've been, I'd been winging it a lot (laughs) before i met you guys (laughs) and so you all really uh you know govin with his culinary excellence is pretty mind-blowing to like look through govin's recipes and look through the amount of recipes you know like i i can't even explain how much it is you know and as a young chef you're thinking to yourself like wow like i thought i was good at what i do but there's obviously a lot of room for growth. <laughs> and, you know, I just saw Govin's experience is something that I really wanted to tap into. I hadn't had anybody outside of my family that had been very influential on guiding me in my career path. And uh none of them have the restaurant type
0: experience that I've, I'm trying to obtain. So smart smart man <laughs> and uh you know Go, I, Govan, i think you're one of the most underrated chefs in the country um even though you you know you've had a fair amount of media exposure but still i i think you're you're, you're underrated uh for for what your skill set is and and um just the plates that you put out man and the food that you create is just beautiful and it tastes great um i'm curious man you went from post and beam which is a local restaurant where we see how many John 90 people there? And uh, you know, a very intimate community place. And we would have, you know, some certainly some some busy, busy nights where you know we couldn't have done any more business. But you went from that to one of the busiest restaurants in Southern California, the lobster. And the the volume that you do there is just amazing. And I'm curious, what's the biggest difference for you going from a small room intimate setting like Post and Beam to a place like The Lobster? And does volume solve everything? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, The transition was, you know, for me, I've
3: worked in busy restaurants before, and I uh, love it. And and scale, it's an interesting thing because, you know, there were definitely nights at Post and Beam where, you know, you couldn't see the end of it. You know what I mean? Where it it was just busy, you know, it's tight, everyone's in sync and things are going well, knock wood, you know, there's some other nights when the wheels completely come off, but whatever, that's, that's the business, you know, and, and then ramping up and going over to the lobster was, was, you know, a challenge that I had wanted, you know, it's like, I appreciate, um, you know, both aspects of, of working in a, you know, smaller neighborhood style restaurant, but, you know, Uh, That place is, you know, lobster, it's a beast, you know, and I I definitely saw the potential in my personal growth and and taking on a position like that to where, you know, sure, I'm responsible for all, all the, you know, back of the house operations, but also, you know, any position that I take, it's like, I want to, you need to grow, you know what I mean? You need to like, try something new, try something different. You know, there was a learning curve. It's like, sure, I've worked with lobster. I've worked with, you know, all kinds of product, but I've never dealt with that much, you know, that much lobster and that much like high cost items, every service, every day. You know, so that part was fun and challenging and uh, a little nerve wracking in the beginning, you know, but then I, you know, just being confident enough. It's like I knew that I could sort of figure it out in time and then just improve on that and improve on it in terms of, obviously, their bottom line, um, improve on just standardizing systems and 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 growing the staff as well. And um, to answer your question, volume and a high check average solves everything. <laughs> and, then,
0: <laughs> and then a little more. Yeah, a little more, Yeah, very honest answer there. John what what is your biggest challenge coming back uh from covid now as as in room dining capacities increase and uh you know with safe new safety protocols and all that what what are you looking at as as your biggest challenges
2: uh you know there are a lot of challenges I, the biggest one uh the one that i feel like solves a lot of my issues though is is getting uh, line cooks i had to lay off some of my kitchen staff over the pandemic and uh you know they were super a big part of our team trying to replace them has been like a huge challenge even bringing on uh the cooks that we have you know we brought back a lot of the team but finding enough line cooks um like a lost art at this point i think everybody i talked to is looking for a line cook at some point you know for a service we've we've shortened our, the amount of service we, services we do a week, uh, to kind of make it make sense. But man, uh, I think line cooks are absolutely something. That's the, the biggest challenge, man. It's making, doing, we, we have so many people, uh, requesting service, um, we're turning people away, you know? So
0: it's like, keeping that wheel going, man, we need, we need more cooks. Well, I'm going to come back to that because I know high, you know, uh, the, the, the shortage of staff has definitely been a subject. In fact, John, you're, you're quoted today in the Miami Herald. I think they took a, an excerpt of yours from uh restaurant business, but, you know, to the extent that there's a, a hiring, uh, challenge going on around the country. Um, but before I, before I get to that, I'm curious, you know, with, with restaurants being so front and center this past year, and and the struggle, and and kind of maybe a little bit to, to a certain degree that the curtain kind of being pulled back on the mystique of you know just the profitability of restaurants, the the work, the the you know how how difficult the work actually is, um and and maybe the public to some degree because they have not you know restaurants have been closed, we haven't been able to go out, assuming that people Miss that? Do you think that we're going to enter a period now, as as restaurants start to come back, where people have a different level of appreciation for that experience, going?
3: That's an interesting question. I, I think there are a lot of people that are eager to get back out and happy about getting out and, and supportive of the staff and generally just you know really excited about it. And then I think that it, it's sort of tweaked people's sort of expectations as well. And, and to a point where they're almost expecting more, you know, and not really um, taking care of the staff as, as well as they would in the past. It, it's 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 interesting, you know, I, and, it, and it's so split and it's not, you know, any particular race or color or this or that. It's like just people in general. I think some forgot how to go out, you know, and act and be um, and and how to be, you know, kind and courteous, um, you know, and and some are coming out and are extremely happy and and just super appreciative and and take care of the staff and are just thankful and gracious. So it's been interesting, you know, I, I think it's... Uh, you know i'm looking forward to it evolving and and people continuing to feel safe and and come out and and spend money and support their local but at the same time it's like there're some people coming out that are receiving money that they weren't receiving before and coming out and spending money and acting stupid you know pardon <laughs> but, um i don't know but you know what i mean it's it's been a it's been a little tough in that sense to where um you can, and you can never tell you, you never tell like who's going to act out and how things are going to go with anybody. So it's, it's a little, little weird, you know, and granted the lobster is in a, a, a position where we're getting a lot of foot traffic and there's a lot of, um, lower hanging fruit or whatever, you know, there's tons of uh, people just walking in off the street or off the pier or whatever. So you're going to get a rather mixed bag. And at that point then it's just a numbers game, you know, so 80% are going to do the right thing another 10% are going to go, you know, off the deep end. And the other 10 is like the wild card, you know, So it's, <laughs> you, know, you just never know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like our business is unpredictable in that way. Anyway, you know, it's like, you know, what you do on Tuesday night and they have a fantastic Tuesday night. And then Wednesday you do the exact same things and, you know, it doesn't quite go the same, you know, it's, a, it's right. like a Broadway production every night and, the moon and the stars align some nights and other nights, uh, you know, not quite the same way. John, what, what's your sense of um the comeback now? Do you feel like folks are antsy? Do you feel uh, a pent up demand?
2: Definitely feel a pent up demand. It's it's still pretty weird. I think it was always a mixed bag, like Govan said, for Post and Beam as well. But I think uh it's interesting how our actions over the past 12 months are making our customer experiences differently. Like we've been semi-successful at putting together a to-go and delivery business that we really didn't have before. And now we're trying to scale back so that we can really uh, handle the the in-service dining and people are really not happy about it. (laughs) They are, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we continue to Satisfy this takeout and delivery business that we've been able to generate and also satisfy, you know, a fully reserved dining room at the same time. And it's just like this. How do you do it? <laughs> how do you do it? Yeah.
0: Well, let me go. I, I had another question, but I, since you bring up that, that point, I'm curious to get both of your opinions on ghost kitchens are ghost kitchens potentially an answer to the alleviate the the extra burden of takeout um on a on a particular location gobin you've been around for a minute what do you think of that
3: i think it's you know it's, it's an interesting model i think it does work for certain concepts i think it's a great style of like you know an incubator and you know coming up with some cool concepts and just sort of testing the market in that sense um but you know, it's a model that I don't, I don't fully believe in myself. I, I, have seen it done well and I've seen it done, you know, very poorly. So, um, a lot of people are sort of jumping and and diving into that model. And, um, yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where if you have the right operator and, and everything's like sort of buttoned up and bulletproof, I think there's definitely success there. But in terms of, you know, the integrity of what you're trusting other people with in order to produce your food. I don't know. It, it could go either way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And an, an entire menu of your food. You know, we had uh, I had Naisha Arrington on a few weeks ago and she voiced the same apprehension as you. She said she might be willing to launch a dish through a ghost kitchen, but an entire menu. She'd be you know pretty apprehensive about. John, where do you what, what's your feeling about that?
2: Yeah, I mean I don't I think ghost kitchens are one of those things that are beneficial for maybe the ride sharing industry, you know, but I don't think from a like a chef or restaurant tourist it's I don't think that's a, a permanent answer for anything. Um I have some experience working with a a restaurant group that played with the ghost kitchen model. Um I did some R and D chef work with the group called Cloud Kitchens and you know, I think delivery and takeout is here to stay um finding like different ways that you can offer food programs through it i think is really something that everybody's still trying to figure out but ghost kitchens you know they're they're just like a short-term solution in my opinion for a lot of reasons so yeah i think a more better model would be a a conjunction like a, a catering kitchen operating in conjunction with a, a a
0: local on-site dining well one of the rideshare guys i forgot which one uh just dumped a bunch of uh, like a hundred million dollars into the, the the ghost kitchen concept in la so somebody believes in it but uh, i think coming yep. from an on the ground you know to uh people like yourselves um you know probably some caution needs to be uh leveled into all of that enthusiasm so govin um, you know, I moved to L.A. in 89. I I certainly saw the food scene evolve there considerably, you know, over the the 30 years or so that uh, that I lived in L.A. And, uh, you know, you you're you started in Wolfgang Puck's kitchen, you know, as a young man, as a great picture of you as a youngster doing uh, doing your thing there. But what what how. L.A. has just evolved, man, in such a really cool, creative way. Um, and now, you know, I think it's it maybe the, the, the most creative culinary scene in the country. Um, but what what do you think about how the L.A. food scene has evolved? What have, what have you seen over the years and where do you think it is today?
3: Uh, I think the scene is is great. I think it's really sort of caught up and now really just trailblazing, you know, the country in terms of all the different ethnic, you know, and, and high-end ethnic restaurants that are coming out. And, you know, there's incredible Filipino food that, that's been really, you know, hitting the market pretty strong and, and get, gaining um, some real traction there. Um, you know, even, you know, a lot of New York-based chefs that have been moving out onto this coast because they see the opportunity, they see the potential in in doing some, you know, making a mark on this coast. Is, has been really interesting. But it's, you know, the, the food scene, it's changed a lot. You know, it's, I think businesses have been and, and restaurants have been really trying to figure it out, like how to introduce incredible new restaurants. You know, I think there there's still a ton of investment, you know, of restaurants that are being built out that where they're spending a fortune. You know, you look at some of these places in downtown that are opening up and They're, you know, they're digging in some deep pockets there. And it's great to see that. And also the smaller independent restaurants that are just, you know, trying to create some buzz and, you know, in in an old strip mall and like just getting a little storefront and and doing some killer food there. So I I think it's just a great time in the city. I think it's um, exciting. There's just about anything, you know, you can choose from out there that, you know, people are just doing an incredible job at.
0: John, what's what's your uh, purview on that? You're in an interesting vantage point in South L.A. and And I think, you know, there's some eyes on you and some attention in South L.A., some focus now that maybe wasn't there. Um, when Govan and I first started and and although South LA certainly deserved, uh, attention back then, but, uh, for whatever reason, somehow, um, you know, a lot of places have gotten overlooked, but you're there now, a lot of buzz South LA is a hot real estate market, the football stadium Inglewood, you know, real estate's up there 70% from, you know. Five minutes ago what what you're talking to a lot of vendors people are interested what what are you seeing trend wise out there that's interesting to you john that uh, that you're keeping an eye on
2: i think our particular area in south la i use i've always called it like the takeout mecca of la it's so many takeout businesses huge in that in that area um but there's been this buzz around the the train line opening up and what that's going to do for traffic and foot traffic to have a lot of that construction removed off of Crenshaw i think um with the stadium opening up it's going to be a new ball game i think it's really uh you know a lot of push to move to Inglewood area and that south bay is really looking for a lot of volume, a lot of more traffic. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more uh, postage beam style restaurants popping up in South LA, a lot more full service, full bar. I know that the city's been really um, pushing for a lot of the regulation to be, you know, more streamlined, a little easier for entry. So I think you're going to see a lot of action happening in South
0: LA and right and wrong along Englewood. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with you. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily cheaper real estate over there anymore. So I know that initially mm-hmm. is what attracts operators. But I think the uh, cost per foot is going to be on par with, you know, everywhere else in the city. And uh, maybe you have us partly to thank for some of that, too, because we got in there early. Um, so, Gobin, just going back to uh, when we when we took on Post and Beam. You know, when I, when I thought about taking on a venture at that location, you know, the, the area surrounding the mall looked quite a bit different than, you know, it looks today. There was no Kaiser. That lot was abandoned. The mall had seen some better days. The, the Magic Johnson Theater had, you know, Gone away, and that just wasn't. I wouldn't have. And and if you remember too, we were coming out of the uh, the the market crash, and real estate was suppressed, and that area was one of the last neighborhoods to start to make the uh, the upward swing. So there there weren't a lot of checks on the side of the column that say, this is a must do. Right. (laughs) So, um, but I, I knew that I needed someone of your caliber and, and there really, you know, it was you and, and not many other places to go. Someone who had been recognized by the media, but that, um, might also say yes. And I thought it was a long shot, you know, to get you, I had, I had, you know, met you. We, I thought we clicked, I loved what you'd done at table eight. I thought the T-bone steak you made there was one of the best meals I'd ever had. And I thought it was a long shot, but, but you said yes. So looking back, man, what, what was it that, that caused you to, to look at that dilapidated building that used to house, um, a fried chicken spot and, uh, didn't have a whole lot else going on around there, except the fact that Baldwin Hills, the Dara Heights and View Park are one, two, three wealthiest black communities in the country. They were in a, within a stone's throw from us. But what, what was it really that made you say, you know, I want to do this?
3: Uh, It was a number of things, you know, I, I don't know, like as a restaurateur, as an operator, sure. You can look at the the facade of the building and this and that and and think it's like, we can't make this work, but it's like, it was kind of, There wasn't a lot of hesitation on my behalf, was there? When,
0: when no, when you sort of surprisingly, rank. not. <laughs> right. It wasn't. You said I'm no, in. I was yeah. like, excuse me,
3: <laughs> exactly.
0: I just get the neighborhood. I I
3: understand the the need for like just good food, you know. So understanding that we can get there, understand that you were a big part of it as well. Um, that was very reassuring. Just the opportunity to work with you on a project was. A, a big, a big one as well. Um, and Linda as well, you know, it's like she, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. she, and I, she and I had never met prior. Um, but obviously there were a few times where we did, um, sit down and just getting to know her and her business acumen and all that was again, you know, potential for me to grow and le- learn from her. Um, but the community itself is, um, it was it. It's like they, It needed, it it deserves, and it was hungry for a a good restaurant of the caliber that we were going to execute at that time. I thought everything was just sort of lining up. Um, I'm a a big believer if you build it, they will come. And I think that, you know, between just the team that we put together, that it was, I don't know, I wouldn't wouldn't say a slam dunk, but, you know, I know it would sort of get some good shots in there and, and make a pretty, pretty big impact. And yeah, you know, honestly, I did, you know, really want to uh, work with you and 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 partner with you guys and see what kind of waves we can make in a you know in a community that deserved what we could offer.
0: And you know, man, as you as you're saying that, I'm just reminded of when you when you take on something like this together, right? I mean, we form like a little unit, you know, and then the outgrowth of that is all of the relationships that happen. I mean, your mom used to come into, you know, Post and Beam regularly, and it was just lovely to see her. My mom worked there before, um, you know, she yeah. passed away a couple of years ago, but we created like this family. You're, you know, you had the, the twins and, you know, yeah. Willow came, you know, she's, she grew up in, you know, Bryce was coming around, I and mean, we had like this family neighborhood and that that's to me is the best of what our business can offer a community. Would do you, do you see it that way too? 100%. No. And those are memories that, you know,
3: will never leave me memories that, you know, will never leave Willow and just our family. And, you know, and just so many moments of of greatness where you can't create that, you know what I mean? It's like, you want that, but it's like, you can't force it. And there, the, the fact that it happened so organically and so honestly, You know, there's nothing better. You know, it's like I remember many, many shifts, you know, either, you know, talking to guests or behind the line and just looking out and just looking at the makeup of of who's coming to not even just check us out, but who's coming to dine, who's coming out to have an experience was just, you know, such an eclectic, cool room, you know, from the music to the lighting, the ambiance, the atmosphere, you know, all of it to Sundays, you know, having little... Garden parties, teaching people how to compost, and with the cocktail in hand, you know it's like they're just a lot, you know, of, of real fun, um, hard work. You know, I think it, it's kind of the textbook uh, neighborhood restaurant. Like this is what it takes in order to be successful. And we we checked off many O boxes in that
0: in that book. Yeah, we did, man. And you know, your idea to uh, incorporate a, a garden. Um, you know, again, we're going back quite a few years, but that wasn't the most popular idea. It hadn't become trendy, but you had, uh, you know, the way that you looked around corners and knew, you know, what, what needed to happen. And you decided to, uh, to introduce that idea. And it was, it was just a phenomenal accessory to the restaurant. John, I've seen, you know, fantastic pictures of Miles sitting, you know, next to you, watching you make pizza. And uh, your beautiful wife, Ronnie, is, is you know, instrumental now in, in, you know, getting to know the restaurant world and watching your family kind of evolve into that scene. How does that feel to you, man, to have, you know, you own that business. This is your spot. You're in charge. You're the guy. Your son's there looking at his papa doing his thing in the, in the building that, you know, he, he's the boss. How, how's that feel for you? Oh, man, I feel like I'm living a
2: dream every day. It's... Uh... It's quite amazing. Uh, I I haven't had much time to reflect until I think this past 12 months where life just really slowed down for a little bit. But man, it's been like a wild dream come true. Um, <laughs> in my wildest dreams, I think I would have been a chef owner of a restaurant-like posted for it to actually happen before I turned 40. And my son's growing up and watching it all go down, and I mean, you know, it's it's absolutely living a dream. We're in a right in the neighborhood that my wife grew up in. Uh, we inherited all of these great relationships from uh from you all's hard work, man. It's it's pretty wild. Like I don't talk about it too often. When you think about like what's actually happening, you know, Ronnie and I sit back. I think at the end of the night, and we're like, wow, that's crazy. This is crazy, you know. Like we got. After parties and the community groups trying to do little things and events with us, and off chance, I get to cook with Govin here and there, and we do events together. It's we, uh, we got invited to do, I follow this uh, event called Out in the Infield, and they do outdoor dining events at farms for like hundreds of people uh i used to work under chef charlie parker when i first moved out here and he used to do events there with them and uh, we're going to do one with them at the end of the summer we got invited to do uh, an event with thorn family farm to do i think 200 250 people out in the farm and i was like i'm just living the dream man like like some of the (laughs) business we get approached with man it's mind-blowing that we're doing it we're this young um and pretty successful at it. I'd like to say, I don't think, you know, I always feel like we could do better, but man, we we're killing
0: it in a lot of ways. I'm happy to hear that, man. And uh, even amidst the, the hiring challenges and everything else that uh, you can, that you're confronting that you're, you're finding the, you know, the glass still half full. So, you know, I, I love that, man. And with Martin Dreilock, who you just recently added to your team is a big addition from Hatchet Hall and I think a lot of folks are really excited about what uh, what you two are going to accomplish there. And, you know, you got Govan and I and Linda still in the wings when you need us. So as we're, we're winding down here, but, uh, you know, as we emerge from 2020 and uh, the political turmoil, the the hostility that that, you know, uh without making a political statement, but that, you know, I I, I just feel that. Was just so present and go when you mentioned not wanting to turn on the news, but it's like every time you turn on the TV, you were like, you know, just wanting to make sure that, you know, we still had a planet issues around social justice that are that are ongoing and continue to amplify and necessarily so. And, you know, you guys are in public spaces, you're dealing with the energy of the public coming at you, the employees, the staff that you have, the things you say, your demeanor, your, you know, just, just it, it's unavoidable for us we we don't get to do our job you know behind closed doors and sealing off the the rest of the world so I'm curious and, and uh, John I'll ask you first what is the most significant takeaway for you from this past year?
2: Mm, I think uh I'd have to say it's it really took a hard look on how I balance a work day um and just Creating this balance in life. It's just, it can't always all be work. It can't always be all giving and no taking. I think, uh, having that, that break of, of just norm, normalcy that was just, I mean, it was a fast paced life really allowed me to see how much important it was to spend time with my family outside of posting being. <laughs> it's just not always working. Uh, I love what we do and for sure, am, you know, 100% workaholic and love what I do. But man, uh, you know, sometimes you need to eat breakfast with your family and <laughs> spend time at the house and, you know, take care, of, walk your dog a little bit. You know, it's just, I think that pause really was the biggest takeaway of like, you want to live longer and have a healthy life. You got to balance this out more. I think we were working so hard to keep up with all of the progress that we've had with taking on the restaurant that I, man, I haven't looked down
0: and checked the clock, you know, I just go, go, go. I've used that expression a lot. You know, the, the, the pause button that kind of got pressed this year on the entire planet. Go. what, what do you take away, man, from 2020? Um, how, how, what are you looking forward and in, in looking back? What, what, what's your frame of mind and, and from what we've just witnessed and continue to, to go through here?
3: It's interesting. It's definitely you know, shows you how fragile you know things are, people are, life is, and how things can change at you know at the snap of a finger from a number of things. You know, not just the pandemic, but you know the protests and this and that, and like how things that you know can get unveiled you know overnight and really make some people think. Also, you know, resiliency and and you know knowing that we as people, we as restaurateurs, we as Not just like white, black, this or that. It's like we can all get through this um, together. If we're smart about it, if we're talking about it, if we're, you know, thinking things through and, you know, families, you know, it brought us a lot closer. Not that there was a lot of distance or disconnect, but John, as you said, it's like really just having that time to really spend and get to know each other a little better and uh, love each other a little more and, you know, understand each other a little better has been you know, really incredible. But, you know, and then just looking forward, it's like, I know that it has made us stronger. I know, you know, we can, uh, live, learn and be productive and have
0: balance and just do so much more when we're all, sort of in it together. Well said, man. You know, I, I really appreciate uh, the brotherhood that, that we've formed, um, the three of us and our extended loved ones. And, you know, I just really appreciate you guys. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. And um, not to end on a, on a sad note, I want to pick it up a little bit. So Govin, describe for me before we split your perfect night at the lobster. How does that look? What happens? That would mean that I would be at home. Um, <laughs> at the lobster.
3: Exactly. With you at home. Okay. No, perfect at the lobster. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's a joy being there. It, it's definitely a lot of work. And, you know, just with my new role, it's a lot more responsibility and definitely getting pulled in a number of different directions. But it's, you know, it, it's not just about me. I have put together a really good team. And I, you know, the things that really drive me is just seeing that full dining room, seeing people enjoying themselves, having a good time, talking to as many people as I can, you know, similar to how I saw you, you know, it's like, I'm pulling out chairs, I'm clearing tables, I'm working with the, you know, the guys and uh, women in, in the kitchen and this and that. And it's just, it's just that energy. It's that buzz. It's that, that smell, that look, that feel of, you know, busy restaurant. Then obviously, yeah, sure. Having the Sunset, you know, coming down over the ocean there it sort of adds in even, even a little more. It doesn't feel
0: like work. You know, it really just feels like just good times and good vibes. That's, that's beautiful. And then you jump on that motorcycle, hit the 10 under a full moon, and off off, off you go. <laughs> I know it. John, tell me, Post and Bean, perfect night. What's that look
2: like? Oh, man. Perfect night at Post and beam means that Ronnie is there with me. And... Uh, she's table touching. So, uh, I think it starts with booked out reservations. We got live music. So we got live jazz on the patio, Friday night, Sunday brunch. I think those are like our favorite times. And everything's just moving like a beautiful, beautiful, uh, symphony, man. Like the kitchen's pumping out food. Guests are happy. We're still seeing people at the bar, the count, the food counter, full. one of the coolest things we were doing before pre-pandemic where we used to uh we used to offer oyster shots to the guests that sat at the food counter and like we would just you would hear live music coming out from the patio, everybody smiling, having a great time the room noise level is pretty high cuz it's everything's open and uh everybody dresses so nicely when they come to post and beam it's it's an event some nights so i that's a perfect night for us man
0: and i think we all have to give props to reggie and i would say on that perfect night reggie's at the bar not complaining oh, about the poor you know, ah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 shout out to reggie that's right yeah. uh, mm-hmm. well, thank- Thank you both. Uh, I know you're busy and I appreciate you both taking the time to to sit with us today and looking forward to seeing you both real soon. So in live and in living color. But until then, take take good care.
2: All right, you too. Good. Talk Thanks a lot, Brad. Peace and blessings,
0: fellas. You too. That was a fantastic discussion and love this part of the show where I welcome my dear friend, Ambassador Shabazz, who just looks lovely and radiant and full of life this morning. What's happening, Ambassador? How you living?
1: i'm <laughs> I'm still adjusting to that compliment uh that, that that radiant part uh i'm living i'm living full let me say you know uh toll order big plate and loving every bit of it I just have to learn how to take care of myself in the balance of things, but you know as I shared with you notwithstanding as is busy as things are, this hour is always like something I look forward to it's something that's For me, it's more caressing for me than me being busy at the work, but just sort of digesting and receiving and listening to the brethrenship of the guests and the reflections I have fondly of some of those nuances that um, many of them, you know, share. And, you know, when you think of post and beam and what it means, not as a restaurant, but just foundationally. Fundamentally, and so much of that in why you named it, what it what it brought forth, how it anchors for other people, not just in the industry, but those that are of us like patrons, um, and that it wasn't just food, though the food is great, it was really the atmosphere, you know, the anchoring. And so when we think about how we resume life right now, post uh, twenty twenty. Um, Experiences like post and beam or the corner table or our grandfather's table or reflectively, you know, an an aunt or uncle's lap. That's what's happening now. That pause amidst the crises, unyielding crises, just also enables us to um, figure out the anchor, the emotional anchor, the compassionate anchor. And I just loved listening to Armstrong and Cleveland in reference to a shared experience, right? You know, it's passing the torch. You know, it's kind of like the significance of the circle of influence, which we underestimate sometimes. You know, we think we have to be genealogically connected and yet we're spiritually connected. You know, you can meet people and have a great time and then you wonder what sustains it? How does it turn into another business, another partnership? Um, How does it withstand the highs and the lows? It's just the kinships that go beyond the typical format or formula. And um, it's just really great for me to hear about the restaurant's founding in an area that people warned us to stay away from. And I remember the conversation wanting to anchor there. Success is everywhere, but what is that? If the folks that are of you can't break bread with you. And so to dare to do so. And for me to even join that process in a, in a different way, you know, bringing people across the hill, over the hill, different sides of the zip codes, um, designing, you know, come with me, join me for a brunch and people having a ball. Right. And people want to, right. They just don't, they need an invitation. Sometimes they need to feel like they're not crashing a party that even if it's culture-specific in origin and and cuisine, that that too is also to be shared. Well, I, you know? I, I want to acknowledge
0: that because when we were launching brunch at Post and Beam, you know, as you, uh, you've always been close to me and I always, you know, run by you, whatever I'm thinking about doing and, and get your, your wisdom. But you know, we were going to launch brunch and, and I asked you what you thought and you, you took me one better. You said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to co-host brunch there with yeah. you. And you started just picking up the phone or, or sending out emails. And next thing I knew, we had this amazing, just colorful. International brunch crowd show up that mingled and mixed with our local Sunday church folks and the hipsters from wherever they were coming from, and it was this wild, just integrated (laughs) room of social cultures. But you were you were the maestro. You helped to really launch that for us.
1: Well, and some of them were people that had enjoyed your restaurants on different size of town and, but this was permission. People wanted to, they hadn't been invited to cross lines. You know, in New York, there's no, no avenue you can't cross, but we don't realize in other cities, people will ask you, what's your zip code? You know, and that means something in, in, in you know, in some areas, you know, it just means how do I get closer to you? In other areas is where else should we meet? You set a tone And we're eager to make sure everyone was breaking bread together. So I was based in Louisville at the time. And so I flew in for whatever that weekend was. And some friends said, I can't come that weekend. Are you going to be there next weekend? So (laughs) I came back, you know, because I was trying to meet the yes. Right. And not just send somebody, but say, join me at the table. Right. And so. From that point on, people would stop on the way to the airport, coming back from the airport before going to whichever direction. And it was such an elegant mix of down home.
0: Well, th- I tell you today, I really felt, you know, kind of the essence of why this podcast res- is important to me. Yeah, Um, yeah. I felt like Misty, you know, talking with those guys because yeah. you relive the you- you've gone through battle, you know, and. You, we lose family and those, the, that family, you have memories of them in those rooms. And, and, you know, it just, it creates this, this photo album that, uh, you, you continue to replay, especially when we are coming out of a year where we had, you know, that live experience taken away and we're talking to one another in these little squares and boxes. So, you know, just, just really grateful for the, um, for the experience of, of having to, uh You know, having been in business with with folks like John and uh, and Gobind and uh, for also the support that uh, that you offer. So thank you, Ambassador. It's lovely to see you. And I know you're off to a very special event, so we're not going to talk about that today, but we will talk about that soon because I'm going to make you spill some beans. (laughs) But uh, as for today, wishing you well and, uh, you know, have a lovely afternoon.
1: Same to you, my dear. Thank you. Corner Table Talk
0: is hosted by Brad Johnson, produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson, coordinating producer Lauren Turner, theme music Life Goes On by Bryce Vine, executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a Say It Loud Network production.